Week one of the series, I shared how my very first calling as a pastor was to help start a new church in Colorado. And one thing I wish I'd known sooner is the true measure of what a successful leader looks like. But there's actually something else that happened my first year of ministry that I wish I could go back and just know something sooner, and it has to do with confidence. So it goes like this. Uh, back when I was first preaching, which I'm glad there was no internet back then to record what it was like. Uh, but back when I was first starting services for this brand new church, we were so excited over every new person that might walk through the doors. And there was one weekend, one Sunday, when I remember a certain woman walking in. She must have been in her maybe early to mid-70s. She had a uh, leather-bound Bible case that she carried with her into church, looking very formal, very nice. And I was like, okay, I kind of dig this woman already. Pretty, pretty cool. And so I, I met her at the door. I said, welcome. So good to have you here. I introduced myself. My name is Matt. And she was, she was kind and polite and kind of looking around, you know, trying to figure this new place out. And she said, where's the pastor? <laughs> and I said, oh, I, I'm the pastor. My name is Matt. I'm so glad you're here, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she kind of looks me up and down. And she's like, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm 26. And she kind of thinks for just, it felt like a minute, she's just standing there staring at me. And then she finally said, that's not good. <laughs> so in that moment, I'm clinging for whatever credibility I can salvage out of this disaster. And so I'm saying, well, I went to college for four years and I studied biblical languages and I went to seminary for another four years and I got this other pastor in the area that's helping me out. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm grasping for credibility. And I also, I, I said this, and I think I might've told you this a while ago. I told her, I'm actually 26 and a half. <laughs> and I'm like, mic drop, what are you gonna do with that? You know. <laughs> Needless to say, I was struggling with confidence. And maybe you've had moments like that too, where you thought things were going pretty well, you thought the conversation went okay, you thought the project you submitted was, was decent, but then came the feedback. That's not good. And by that, they meant you. You don't have what it takes. You should probably rethink what you're doing. Maybe someone else should step in because they could probably do a better job. And if you've ever wrestled with confidence, what I wish I'd known sooner is that there's a different way to find it. And the tricky thing with confidence is that you're either overconfident or underconfident, and you, both of them have their issues. When you're, when you're underconfident, it means you're not going to do everything that you could do. You're going to miss out on opportunities. You're going to miss out on relationships or, or things that could have changed your life in a big way. Um, I, I see you know, some of the youth today, and I, I see many of them as I was a youth, underconfident, not realizing that they could do so much more if they just tried. Then on the other side of the coin, we've got overconfidence, and that's equally embarrassing. Going out on a limb and doing something because you think you've got what it takes, only to know, realize that you don't have what it takes. And maybe we've all been there in that moment of embarrassment where we had way too much confidence 
in our own experiences. And that's really what confidence is, isn't it? Confidence is when you look at your experiences and to, to determine what you can do going forward. You look back at your experiences and determine what can I do going forward? And a lot of times that will make you underconfident or overconfident because we don't always interpret our experiences the right way. But what I want to show you today from 1 Timothy chapter 4 is that there is a confidence, number one. There is a confidence that has nothing to do with your experience. Totally independent of who you are and what you've done, there's a certain confidence that God offers to people like me and people like you. And so throughout the course of the message, what I hope to show you is what happens when you carry a confidence that's just based on your experience. And I also want to show you what what it looks like to step forward appropriately confident in this other kind of confidence that only God can give. And so to kind of flesh this out and search this through, once again, what we're doing in this series is working through the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, as an elderly man, is speaking into the life of Timothy, a younger uh, church leader. And the way we've been phrasing it in this series is he's basically telling Timothy, here are things that if you don't learn them now, you'll wish you had known them sooner. So today is sooner. And whether you are younger or older, we're going to see a confidence that God wants you to have. So we're going to jump right into 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul said, command and teach these things, Timothy. And if you look back in chapter four, these things basically means set aside all the myths and legends and godless wives, old wives' tales that, that are swirling around. Stop focusing on things that don't mean anything and start teaching people the truth of God. These things means the truth of God. And then Paul emphasizes, command and teach. And the way that this is written, as Paul had it written, the emphasis isn't just on, you know, have a sermon series and then you're, you're done. But the emphasis, continue to command, continue to teach. Say it with authority where you, when, you, when you lead people to the truths of God. So Timothy, command these things, teach them, be a leader. And perhaps as Paul is having this letter written, he envisions what Timothy might respond with. And it's pretty clear that uh, Paul dictated this. Someone else was writing it. And perhaps as Paul said these words out loud for his scribe to write down, he says to himself, oh, I know what Timothy's going to say. Timothy's going to say, why would they listen to me? I'm just a kid. It's a bunch of ladies with Bibles wrapped in leather that will be questioning my right to tell them what to do. How does this work? (laughs) And so Paul backs up for a moment and he gives this clear clear wisdom that I wish I had known sooner. Do you ever wish you could go back to a person and say, hey, say that thing again that you said because now I've got a good comeback? I've been dreaming about this for 17 years now. If I could go back, I'd I'd tell that lady with the Bible, why don't you open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 and see what it says. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Man. That's okay. Ben's still trying to fix me after, <laughs> after all that. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, here's what we all know. 
you can't control how other people perceive you. You can't. But you can make it so that what they perceive of you doesn't control you. Timothy, I know you're young. You got lots of ways to grow, but don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't identify yourself as just some young person that can't offer anything. Even now, when people are questioning your right to authority, here's what you should do. And this is for all of us. Set an example for the believers in five things. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Some of you might feel inexperienced right now in a certain area of life. You feel like you're young in a certain area. And if you're meeting with your growth group this week, you can talk about that. An area of life where you feel underqualified, inexperienced, you don't know how to navigate a conversation, or literally you are the youngest sibling, um, you're always overshadowed, or you are the rookie at work and everyone's expecting you to make the coffee, you know. There are areas and times in your life where you are the young one. But don't let that fool you that there's nothing you can do. Paul said to Timothy, set an example. You don't need their respect to be an example of speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You don't need a title to do those things. You don't need to be the CEO to do those things. You, you could be a person who's just volunteering. They, you show up, and they don't know why you show up, because you never get a paycheck. But you could be an example in those things. What I think we, I often wrestle with, and what many people wrestle with, is we think that since we don't have the certain title, that means we don't have the, the influence to change anything or to do anything. So what Paul told Timothy is, forget your title. Yeah, you're a pastor and you've been called to this church, but you don't need that. Just be an example. And here's the positive of what we can take from that. Don't wait for people-given titles to pursue your God-given purpose. You don't need people to give you a title for you to set a good example in speech and conduct and, and faith and love and purity. Anyone can do that anywhere, even if you are the one making the coffee. And in so doing, you will let your light shine because you are not ordering others to serve you. But you are making it clear that your service to them is a reflection of God's love for you. And the other side of this is equally true. If you do have that title, you are the boss, you are the one in charge. What do you do with that? Paul would say, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't look to your people-given title to determine your God-appointed purpose. But there's going to be times in your life where you're not sure what that purpose might be. I think of, yeah, my high school days. I'm like, there's a lot of pressure to figure out what you want to be when, when you grow up. And um, many of us are still waiting to grow up. <laughs> We're navigating what, what does it, what, what, what is our purpose? What does God want us to do? 
And so in this next section, Paul even gives clarity to people who aren't really sure, like how to navigate things. Like we have principles of how to be an example, but what is the ultimate purpose we're we're striving toward? So Paul gives Timothy some straightforward direction. He says, until I come to visit you. In other words, this is an indefinite thing that you should continue to do over and over again. Devote yourself to three things, and I'll kind of pause for each one. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, and in the Greek, those four words are actually just one word. We assume it's the public reading of scripture because he's talking in a church context and in the context of a congregation. And so we we assume Paul's not telling him to be a bookworm. Uh, the, The Greek word could just mean reading. But what we do know is Paul is directing him toward truth. Stay in the truth. Let that be your foundation. Read it for yourself. Read it for your people. That is thing number one. Second thing, devote yourself to preaching. And the Greek word is uh, the word for comfort. So it's like you're taking the truths from Scripture and you're giving them to people in a way that meets them where they're at. Comfort people on a continual basis with this word. And then uh, devote yourself to teaching. And more than just sitting down in a classroom and teaching them, but walking alongside them in life and seeing how godly truths intersect with the fabric of their life. Weave those two things together for them. And that's what you are to do. And so that applies great if you're a pastor leading a church in Ephesus in the first century. And it's a great principle also for pastors today, but most of you aren't. I am. This is a great, great section for me. But the next verse is something we can all apply across the board. Uh, Paul goes on to say this. He says, now, Timothy, do not neglect your gift. And I just want to pause there. Because if, if Paul has to tell him not to neglect his gift, what is Timothy apparently doing? Seems he would be neglecting his gift. Now, what is the gift? Let's read on. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So I'll tell you what happened in Ephesus in the first century, then we'll apply it to you. What happened for Timothy was he was commissioned or ordained to be this church leader in Ephesus. And when that happened, the elders of the church gathered around this young man, they placed their hands on him, and it seems that God did what he often did for believers in the first century, uh, during that apos- the, the time of the apostles. He did something really special and immediately powerful. Someone spoke words over him that had divine truth, that imparted to Timothy some gift, and we're not sure what it was. But God gave Timothy a gift through the laying on of hands. Now, I've never been a pastor in Ephesus, and I've never had a group of elders place their hands on me and speak prophetically over me, because it seems that was a unique gift given to those apostles. But you and I, we do have gifts from God. They might be subtle, they might be really obvious, but you've been uniquely created with your gifts to play a part in something much bigger than you and your life. And the best advice I can give someone who's really struggling to find their purpose, (laughs) if someone is praying over and over, God, just please tell me what to do. What's my purpose in life? What should I be? What should I do? 
the best advice I can give is to do an inventory of how God has gifted you. What are you good at? What do you love doing? And pursue that. Practice it. Don't neglect your gift. Practice it. Search it out. Put it into practice. Volunteer somewhere. Uh, You don't have to commit to anything, but the idea is just think about the gifts God has given you. And the greatest gift he's given you is this gift of faith, which connects you to the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus. The power of Jesus' resurrection is in you by faith, and that is an incredible gift that God has given to you. And in addition to that, he gives you personal gifts, skills, personalities, things that can serve others. So if you're wondering, well, what should I do and what is my purpose? The best thing I can tell you is this, number three, discern your purpose by developing your gift. And uh, this had a unique application for our middle school students on Wednesday nights. Uh, quite often, that I, I th- they're convinced that their gift is Fortnite. So I'm not sure how that translates into kingdom work for God, but I'm sure it, they're, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> Don't overlook the obvious things. What do you love doing? What are you good at? Develop your gift, and sometimes that will show you how God has uniquely made you for a specific purpose. Then I want to close with these final two verses in this section as Paul gives some final encouragement to Timothy. He says, all right, let's recap. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them or be absorbed into them. And again, what's he talking about? Reading scripture, preaching, teaching. Be absorbed in these things so that everyone may see your progress. And doesn't that sound really selfish? Now, what if I told you, hey, you're really good at, at um, let's just say, you're really good at playing guitar. Um, I want you to make this really mean riff and we're gonna have you up in front of everyone and they're gonna see how much progress you've made. Like, what is, that would not be very godly. That's kind of self-focused. But the Greek word for progress can also be translated as advancement. And it's actually, it can be used as a military term, which seems to be common for what Paul was doing in 1 Timothy. He talked a lot about military and athletic competition. In military terms, to advance means you are the commander of the army and you are taking the lead. Let the people see you advance. Not because it's all about you, but because you are the one leading them to where they need to go. And as we all know, how can you lead someone to a place where you've never been? And so Paul says, be diligent in these things. Make it part of your life. And in so doing, people will see your advancement and follow. Even if they question, are you too young? Don't worry about that. Set an example for them and lead them where they need to go. And then finally, he says this, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in him. I'll I'll talk about that word persevere in just a moment. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I'll never forget the advice or the basically a command that uh, they gave to, to me and Amy when we left the hospital with our first baby Um, They said, number one, don't mess it up, Um, but didn't say that. Uh, They said, take care of yourself first. 
Because you can't take care of your child if you haven't taken care of yourself, which I thought was extremely selfish, but there's a lot of wisdom. You hear this on the airplanes too. Put your own mask on first. Because if you pass out, you can't help anyone else. And so Paul told Timothy, watch yourself, not out of selfish ambition or because it's all about you, but because people will follow where you go. And if you go off track, it's not just you. And then he uses that word persevere. Persevere in these things. And at the, the root of that Greek word is the same word that Jesus used the night before he died. The, the word for remain. And here's how Jesus put it. John 15. Remain in me, Jesus said, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Timothy, persevere. Keep yourself in check. Pay attention to what you're believing and what you're teaching. Remain in Jesus because people are following you. People are depending on you. Um, now, uh, any, anyone out there like blueberries? I know this is totally random, but <laughs> going from Jesus to blueberries. But, um, so we got some blueberry fans. I, yeah, we usually have blueberries in our refrigerator at home. Uh, I like to use them as uh, you know, flavoring for, I know I, I'm going to sound old. I like to put them in my oatmeal. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's, it's healthy. It's, it's a good food. And so it's, it's pretty common that we've got blueberries somewhere in our fridge. Now, I'm wondering if anyone else has a Bermuda Triangle area of their fridge. Um, it came equipped with a Bermuda Triangle where things just disappear for a month and then they magically come back. Anyone else? Maybe it's just our fridge that has that upgrade attached to it. Um, but there was one time where the, the blueberries got stuck in the Bermuda Triangle, and then they magically reappeared like a month later, and, and I noticed something really interesting. Now, before I tell you what it was, I mean, maybe I'll share what all of us uh, blueberry fans just hate. Um, do you notice that sometimes you're going through your blueberries and they still have the stem in them? Isn't that the worst? And I've, I've got a picture, I think, of just a blueberry. Yeah, so you, you, you pick up... <laughs> You got a blueberry, and I actually took this picture yesterday um, before I had my oatmeal. You got this blueberry with the stem in it, and you're like, oh. And the worst is, I was at a gathering not too, maybe a year or two ago. Someone brought a blueberry dessert, and yeah, there's like three blueberries with the stems in it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to eat that. But then I was like, well, at least they didn't touch the blueberries. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, it's good and bad that there were stems on them. Anyway, for the longest time, I'm like, oh, this is so annoying, so annoying, so annoying. And so every time, pick, up, you know, pick out the stems because it, it's gross, it's gross. And then fast forward to the Bermuda Triangle incident. There's this big batch of blueberries, and I noticed something interesting. Most of them were gross. We're all shriveled up, except for the ones with stems. Now, here's just a picture of, of what was in my fridge yesterday morning. And you can notice this one still has the stem and the others don't. Do you notice a difference between them? The one with the stem kept longer. And it really challenged the way I think about my blueberries now. So I, 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 I'm like, there could be a business for this. Blueberries with stems still on. And I'm sure there's a biological, botanical reason for it, but they last longer that way. And I thought, well, isn't that kind of the same with me? You know, the, the world looks at my faith and my belief in Jesus, and a lot of the world just says, ugh, you're one of those people. 
You stand out. You're different. I don't like that. And it can be hard to live in a world where there's constant scrutiny over, are you one of those people? To the point where you just kind of want to pick out your stem and just blend in. But what I've noticed is that when you remain in Christ, things don't look different all at once. But you give it time, and you see how those with faith in Christ keep. And what I find is when my confidence is in my own experiences, in my own talents, it's kind of like I'm picking out the stem and I'm just doing my own thing. And when you do that, you could probably do some really cool things in your life. You can get the promotion. You could convince her to marry you or convince him to marry you. You could do great things if you're driven by your self-confidence. But in the long term, you won't keep. So Jesus told his disciples, remain in me as I remain in you. The world will not love you. They will not like you. But in the end, you'll be glad you did. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And so number four is going to sound a little silly. Keep your stem. Keep it. And for those of you, those of us who have already ripped it out, and we've been finding a, an underconfidence and an overconfidence in our own abilities, what I want you to know is that God is still with you. Here's the incredible thing. You, you know, I, I think of a blueberry, you know, once you pick it, it's done. You can't put that thing back on. But with Jesus, he takes away the old and he gives something new. And that is a daily thing he offers to you. What I wish I'd known sooner is that confidence isn't limited to my experience. When my confidence is connected by faith to God, there is a power of life and hope that supersedes anything any person could come up with. So, keep your stem. If you want to put this into practice this week, here's a way you could kind of finish the sentence and just see where you're at with your own confidence. What is your ambition right now? What's something that you're ambitious to do? Maybe your confidence is driving you to do something. Maybe your underconfidence is holding you back from something. But what I found is that when you are driven by your confidence, your ambition is often to be discovered. I want to be discovered at my workplace. I want to be discovered as a great person at home. I want to be discovered by YouTube fans or the Fortnite top 10 list. I don't know if there is such a thing. But often when our ambition is in our own confidence, the ambition is to be discovered. So what about this? What if my ambition is to be developed? So developed by God that people might look at what God is doing and they want to discover the God behind it. When you keep in your stem, you are going to stand out. Maybe right away, not in the good way. But in the long term, you will keep differently. You will be filled with life in a way that wants people to, other people want to discover what it's all about.
So my ambition is to be so developed by God that people want to discover more about him. That's what it looks like to have a godly confidence in what he has designed for you to do. So it's been fun working through you, with you through this series. I hope you can tune in or come back next time as we wrap things up in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For today, let's close with a prayer. Uh, dear Father in heaven, all of us wrestle with confidence in one degree or another. And it's so natural for us to look into our past to determine what we should be confident to do or not to do. And that's a part of everyday life, and there is some wisdom in doing that when it comes to our safety and how we live. But when it comes to our purpose in life, it is not about our experience. It is about your resurrection power and your forgiveness in Christ. Help us stay connected to him, even when it's awkward, even when we stand out. Help us to see that bigger picture of eternal life that he has given us. For those of us who have wandered away and broken off from the stem, thank you that your grace is new every morning. And today is a day where you take out the old and you put on something new. Again, connected to Christ and his love and forgiveness. Keep us there for your glory as we live out our lives for your purpose. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.